The great theologian and Christian philosopher Francis Schaeffer said in the early 80s, nearly 40 years ago, we should note this curious mark of our own age. The only absolute allowed is the absolute insistence that there is no absolute. How much more true is that today? The only absolute allowed is the absolute insistence that there is no absolute truth. The accepted quote of our day is, there's your truth and then there's my truth. As for universal truth, it doesn't exist. Few things in our culture are as hated as much as absolute truth, especially when it comes to the eternal destiny of one's soul. What right do you have to tell me what God to believe in? What right do you have to tell me that your way is the only way? What right do you have to tell me that if I don't believe the way you believe, that I'm going to hell? See, the words get personal. They get heated. Offense is taken, and you're branded as bigoted and closed-minded and intolerant, prejudiced. The only absolute that our culture wants is that there are no absolutes. I can be anything I want to be. I can do anything I want to do. My truth is my truth. I'm the captain of my life. I'm the master of my own fate. Now, the evil twist that's happening in these last few years is that now they insist that not only must you tolerate them and accept them, but now they want acceptance of their choice. Agreeing to disagree is becoming immoral. It's becoming, if you don't think the way I think, then you're wrong. For a culture that hates absolutes, it's mighty ironic that now they are embracing and focusing everything on their what they perceive as right and wrong. We've probably all heard it said that all roads lead to heaven. But one author wrote, one of the most pervasive fundamental convictions of contemporary American society is all roads lead to God. And to say that one way is right and the other way is wrong is narrow-minded, bigoted, and prejudicial. What is true for you is true for you, and what is true for me is true for me. Searching for God is like climbing a mountain, they say. Since everyone knows there's not just one way to climb a mountain, mountains are too big for that, each person can choose from a number of paths. They say that all ideas about God are contained in various religions of the world are just different ways up the same mountain. In fact, though different religions have different names of God, the names all refer to the same God. This might be a pervasive fundamental conviction of our contemporary American society, but is it true? Now, what does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? One religion author wrote, I interviewed a Jewish rabbi, a Muslim imam and scholar, and a Methodist minister, and asked them this question. Do Jews, Christians, and Muslims worship the same God? And all three said, yes, basically they do. Now, they recognize some complications. 
like the Christian belief in the Trinity and that Jesus called the Son of God, but they still came away affirming that God is basically one in all of these traditions. Right now, this very moment, this gross heretical error is being taught in churches throughout our nation. Can that be true? Do statements like those accurately reflect reality? What does Jesus say? What does the Bible say? LifeWay did a survey in 2016 of evangelicals. Not just anyone who said they were an evangelical got to be part of the survey, but only those who would affirm that the Bible was their highest authority. In that survey, two-thirds of evangelicals, 64%, said heaven is a place where all people will ultimately be united with their loved ones. 64% of all the people who said they hold the Bible as their highest authority in their lives said all people will ultimately make it into heaven. Really? Is that what the Bible says? Is that what Jesus says? See, folks, the issue with the lack of absolute truth isn't just out there. Outside the walls of the church. But the issue of are we going to embrace absolute truth is right here. Inside the walls of our church. Do all roads lead to God? Is Yahweh and Buddha and Allah and Jesus, are they all just different names for the same thing? Do all people go to heaven? Now, we don't want someone's opinion, right? Well, my view is this, or this is what I believe. Folks, what I believe is of little value and significance. And listen, what you believe and what your opinion is of little value and significance. What do we want? We want the truth, not someone's opinion. I want what actually matters and matches with reality. Don't you, don't you want the truth? Don't you want what actually matches what's really real? Well, folks, it just so happens that Jesus didn't leave these fundamental, eternal, life-staking questions unanswered. He tells us the truth. And we, as we near now the end of Jesus' sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, he concludes with a series of contrasts. There are no more commands in the rest of his sermon. It's now time to choose. Jesus closes with a series of conclusions where there are only two options. Not multiple choice. Not fill in the blank with your own answer. Not you have your truth and I have my truth. Only two options. And the one you pick, the one you live, has lasting eternal consequences. Jesus finishes the sermon expounding absolute truth. Jesus concludes by challenging his listeners, by challenging us with the truth that there are two ways. There are two teachers, there are two confessions, there's two foundations. Not hundreds of shades of different in color too. Not numerous equal options. Two. Two clear options. One wrong with life and eternally negative consequences, and one right, with life and eternally positive consequences. Two clear choices. One is the truth, the other is a lie. 
One reflects God's kingdom, the other man's kingdom, even Satan's kingdom. One seeks righteousness, the other seeks unrighteousness. Open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 7. And we'll look at the first of these contrasts. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Jesus now, as he concludes... His sermon says, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. Father, we pray now as we think about these words, as we think about truth, what actually matches with reality, that your spirit would take your word and change us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to see two different roads, two different gates, two different experiences, two different amount of travelers, and two dramatically different endings. One commentator said, what is immediately striking about these verses is the absolute nature of the choice before us. We'd all prefer to be given many more choices than only one, or better still to fuse them all together into a conglomerate religion, thus eliminating the need for choice at all. But Jesus cuts across our easygoing syncretism. He will not allow us the comfortable solutions we propose. Instead, he insists that ultimately there's only one choice because there's only two possibilities to choose from. So let's compare and contrast the two possibilities, the wide road and the narrow road. Jesus gives us four points of comparison. First, he compares the gates which you use to enter the road. There's the wide gate, right? The big, broad gate. has ample room. It's so spacious. It's open and expansive. It's, it's inviting. It's easy to go through. It costs nothing to enter. There are bright lights and advertising to point your way to the gate. There are billboards and all matter of enticements making the wide gate so appealing and so alluring. As a matter of fact, the gate is so wide... You can bring with you anything you want. The gate is so large, you can bring whatever luggage you want. There's no limit to its size or to the quantity. See, when you go through that gate, you can bring your own truth. You can bring your own pride. You can bring your own self-righteousness. You can bring your own sin, your own goals. It's an all-inclusive, attractive, easy opening gate that requires nothing from you. But on the other hand, the other gate's narrow, small, only wide enough for for one person to get through at a time. There's nothing spacious about it. You can't bring anything in with you. The gate is so narrow that you must leave all your luggage to get through. You have to leave your truth and accept his truth. You have to leave your pride and in humility consent to another person to be your leader, your Lord. You have to leave your self-righteousness on the outside because the only way through this narrow gate is to take your leader's righteousness. 
You can't take your sins with you. No, at that gate, at the narrow gate, you have to confess your sins. You have to ask forgiveness for your sins. You have to repent and turn from your sins. As you look down past the gate to the narrow road, you realize you can't walk that road by yourself. You can't walk that road for yourself. To pass through the gate, you have to submit your goals to your leader. You have to seek first what he wants. That's the way to get through the narrow gate. It seems to so many that leaving all that behind is just too hard. But then your leader comes alongside of you and he says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. You'll find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. No, there are no fancy lights, no false marketing schemes, no big billboards pointing the way. No, the narrow gate is actually easy to miss. For the only way to get to the narrow gate is for someone to help you find it. You don't find the narrow gate on your own. You see, our leader actually comes to us, brings us to the gate. As a matter of fact, as you get to know your leader, you find out something totally awesome. Something totally amazing. That not only is he the one who leads you to the gate, but he himself is the only one who can open the gate. And then as you further to get to know your leader, you actually find out that he himself is the gate. He says, I'm the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved. Look again how Jesus starts off these two verses. He tells us to enter by the narrow gate. What's he saying? He says, come to me. In John 6, 37 and 40, Jesus says, All that the Father gives me will come to me. And whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should lose nothing of all that he's given to me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Now raise him up on the last day. Two gates, but only one way. Which gate have you entered? The next contrast of the two possibilities, two ways, two different experiences. See, the wide gate leads to the easy way. The way looks so simple to go down. It's broad and roomy. Its pavement is smooth. It's uncomplicated. It's undemanding. One commentator described the easy way like this. There's plenty of room on it for diversity of opinions and laxity of morals. It's a road of tolerance and permissiveness. It has no curbs, no boundaries on either thought or conduct. Travelers on this road follow their own inclinations. That is the desires of the human heart and its fallenness. Superficiality and self-love and hypocrisy and mechanical religion and false ambition and judgmentalism. These things do not have to be learned or cultivated. Effort is needed to resist them, but no effort is required to practice them. That is why the broad way is easy. Because selfishness is easy. Greed 
is easy. Living out the desires of the flesh is easy. <coughs> but what's the end? What are the results? What are you left with? What's verse 14 say? It says the narrow gate is the hard way. What makes it hard? Why is it difficult? Because its boundaries are clearly marked. There are curbs on thoughts and conduct. There are morals to follow. There is actually a specific manual that defines the narrow way. It's a divine revelation that confines the traveler to what the leader, to what the Lord has revealed to be true and good. The way is hard because instead of indulging in the selfishness of the easy way, our leader says in Matthew 16, 24 through 26, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. Forever wants to save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profits a man if he gains the whole world, if he goes down that beautiful, big, broad road and yet forfeits his soul? What shall a man give in return for his soul? See, Jesus is saying the easy way, the selfish way, the follow-your-own-pathway leads one to losing one's life, leads to forfeiting one's soul. It looks easy, but the price it demands will cost you everything. But the hard way, through the narrow gate, the way of self-denial, the way of following after Jesus' way, that's the only way to actually find life. That's the only way to actually preserve one's soul. That's the only way to life and eternal life and abundant life. It looks hard, but the reward is abundant blessing, lavished with grace and mercy, full of hope and peace, a life of meaning and purpose. For we, by the mercies of God, present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is our spiritual worship. We're not conformed to this world. We are transformed by the renewal of our minds so that by testing we may discern what is the will of God, what's good, what's acceptable, what's perfect, His will. Psalm 1 says the way of the righteous is blessed by not walking in the way of sinners, but by delighting in the word of God. And He We'll make him like a tree, strong and fruitful and flourishing. But the way of the wicked are like chaff, to like the useless husk of the wheat. It's tossed in the air. The wind drives it away and it perishes. These two roads bring us two very different experiences. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. That's the only road of real blessing and abundant life. The next contrast is the final destination. The gate is wide. The way is easy. It leads to destruction. Psalm 1 says the way of the wicked will perish. Jesus is saying don't be deceived. That wide gate looks so appealing. That easy way looks so attempting. But actually in the end, it's ruin. 
What's the final destination of rejecting God, of rejecting Jesus, of rejecting life, of pridefully saying, I'm going to go my own way, of blindly choosing selfishness after selfishness after selfishness? That path does not lead to God or heaven. That path leads to destruction, perishing, hell, eternal separation from God. All the glitz and glamour, all the enticing allurements that point to the broad road. But the wide gate, the easy way, leads to everlasting loss. Jesus said the narrow gate, which is the hard way, leads to life. Jesus saying, don't be deceived. The narrow gate looks so restricting. The hard way looks so sacrificial. But actually, in the end, you get life. Eternal life. Abundant life. Psalm 1 says the blessed way is the way of the righteous and it leads to flourishing. Jesus said the thief comes to steal and destroy, but I have come that they might have life and have it abundantly. See, the end of the wide road, the easy way, the the world claims will give you life. It's actually a thief that comes in to steal and destroy. But the end of the narrow way, the hard way, the way the world claims that is full of loss and trouble is actually the way of life, of more abundant living, of eternality. You see, whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. As Moses called out to his countrymen in Deuteronomy 30, so I call out to us saying, I call heaven and earth to witness against us today that God has set before us life and death, blessing and curse, Therefore, choose life. Therefore, choose life. The last contrast is the number of the crowd. Those who enter the the wide gate on the easy way that leads to destruction are many, but those who enter the narrow gate on the hard way that leads to life are few. The broad way is a busy thoroughfare full of people. The narrow way, by comparison, sparsely populated. It's no surprise there. God has always numbered his true followers in the minority. But I don't think the point of Jesus' comment here is about the comparison of the final numbers saved. For we know something. Through the revelation of the Apostle John in Revelation 9 and 10, it says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and people and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and on the Lamb. We praise God for the fact There will be great multitude in heaven worshiping from every nation and tribe and people and language. I think the point here has more to do with popularity. The broad road with a wide gate and the easy way is the most popular way. It's always in style. It's always up on the, the latest trends. But the narrow way, the, through the narrow gate, and down the hard road, always the least popular path. It's not up with the latest styles or trends. 
Rather, it keeps proclaiming the same message over and over and over again. It keeps proclaiming the same message it has been for the last 2,000 years. The narrow way is not the popular way, but it's the only way to life. Remember that verse of the song, I've decided to follow Jesus, that says, Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. Though none go with me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. Will you go against the tide of popular opinion and enter through the narrow gate? Are you still willing to follow the Lord though none go with you? So what's Jesus teaching us here? Two gates, wide and narrow. There is no other gate. There are two ways, easy and hard. There is no middle way. There are two destinations, destruction and life. There is no third alternative. There are two crowds, the popular and the few. There is no neutral group. All of these choices between these two possibilities leave us with only one path to God. There is one way, and that is Jesus. It's not my opinion. It's not the conjecture of some theologian. It's not the invention of some church. It is the clear teaching of the word of God. John 14, 6. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, to whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. 1 Timothy 2.5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. Romans 10.9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. John 8.24, I told you that you would die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. John 3.18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh but made alive in the Spirit. John 5.23, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Isaiah 44, 6, Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of hosts, I am the first and the last. Besides me, there is no God. 1 John 5, 11 and 12, And this is the testimony that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24. For the Jews demand a sign and the Greeks demand wisdom. But we preach Christ. Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews, folly to the Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God, the wisdom of God. 
Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. I could go on and on and on. Scripture after scripture after scripture. The clear teaching of the word of God is that there is one way. And that one way is through the only Son of God, Jesus Christ. There are not many paths that lead to heaven. The Bible says there's one, Jesus. There's not just any God that can lead us to life. The scripture says there's one. His name is Jesus. There are not many truths that lead us to life. Only one, Jesus. The way, the truth, and the life. Perhaps right now as you're evaluating life, perhaps you're realizing that you've not really chosen that narrow way, the only way, the way of Jesus. You're realizing that you're on the broad way. You're trying to convince yourself, it's okay, it's not so bad. Perhaps right now the Holy Spirit is tugging at your heart and it's saying to you, I can, I can see through your fake spiritual facade. You think you're saved because you prayed some prayer years ago, but you never entered by the narrow gate. You just tried to add Jesus to your life as, as a get-out-of-hell ticket, but you never have really confessed him as the Lord and Savior of your life. You've never really handed over the leadership of your life to your leader and forgiver. See, salvation's not just some transaction that we did years ago. Salvation inaugurates the transformation of our life from grace to grace. If your life is no different than the unsaved people you work with, if you look back at your life and you're hard-pressed to give any evidence of God's transformation, His transforming power in your life, then this morning, it'd be smart for you to evaluate, to think. Do you want to know how powerful God is? Think about how powerful is our God right now. If you turn to Him right now, he will make an exit off of that broad road just for you. He'll make an exit off of that wide road that leads to destruction just for you. To come to the narrow gate. To open to the narrow road that leads to life. To enter by the narrow gate, we must admit, admit our sin, admit our inability to save ourselves. We must believe. We must believe that Jesus is the Son of God. He's our Savior. Jesus died for our sins, taking the penalty and the wrath. Jesus rose again in victory over sin and death. And we must confess. We confess Him as our Lord. We confess Him as the leader of our lives. His word, His goals, our first priority. Admit, believe, and confess. Today can be your day to enter by the narrow gate. Let's pray. We sang earlier, Father, a song that says, I stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. And we do. 
we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus. We stand amazed by his words, by the power, by the clarity, by the absolute truth of who he is and what he says. We don't hold to tradition. We don't balance our life on opinion. We go to the truth. We thank you for that. And the truth presented to us today from Jesus. There's just two ways. Lord, may each of us here, before we leave today, confirm in conversation with you that we have entered by the narrow gate. In Jesus' name, amen.